Before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about a very special opportunity that I have for you over this summer. Summer is a time when a lot of us don't feel very good in ourselves, we don't have much body confidence, we're feeling a little bit awkward, we can't wait for the autumn, and on the other hand, we might be having a break, we might be resetting, refreshing, and thinking about all of the goals that we want to achieve, and the ways that we kind of haven't held ourselves to account over the rest of the year, and we want to go back to September feeling confident and ready to take on the world. If either of those ring true for you, I would love to support you with your confidence and your goal. So I am running some sessions which are stuck to stylish sessions and this is all about helping you feel confident, show up, go for the opportunities that you deserve and really push forward with your goals. In these sessions we'll be doing a lot of kind of self-love work, self-belief work. We'll be uncovering all of the subconscious ways that you may in fact be holding yourself back. We will be installing some new better beliefs that are more helpful to you and will help you and support you through whatever it is that you are wanting to achieve. So this kind of session is for you if you find yourself not only obviously saying that you have nothing to wear, but if you find yourself doing stuff like not going for opportunities that you deserve or you talk yourself out of things or you self-edit your emails or you don't assert your boundaries, if you find yourself answering emails at 10pm at night, for example, because you think, you know... I'd actually, you might not even think consciously, if I don't answer this email, Barry from Accounts is going to be upset with me, but it might just be like a deeper, anxious feeling that you have inside of your body, and I want to help you release that. So we'll do some movement work, I will give you some tools that will help support you after our session, and an action plan, a really good action plan that we'll come up with together of the next steps that you need to take in order to get to your goal. Now, as you know, what you wear has nothing to do with clothes and actually what I do as a style coach isn't really about the clothes, it's about you and your confidence. And as someone who has been a leader, who has founded her own business, I can help you navigate those kind of situations from a place of starting with your wardrobe and then actually understanding what it is that your wardrobe is representing in your life and I have lots of tools from my coaching training that can really support you. I know these tools work because I use them and I've had them used upon me which sounds a little bit weird but I am very invested in my own self-development and I have a coach, I work with coaches and these tools have been life-changing. Honestly, I, I can't I can't tell you enough and I will be putting together another episode very soon about burnout, about my business journey and all of that kind of stuff. But honestly, the support that I've gained from my coaches has really helped me get there and now I'd love to help support you do the same and feel the same and go on this self-acceptance, radical responsibility, radical self-love journey. So if this is speaking to you, you can book your two-hour intensive call with me via the link in the bio. There's no need for us to have a pre-call or anything. Once you've booked, you will get some um, forms that I would love for you to fill out ahead of our session. You can just select your date and time. This is really good because autumn is actually going to be a busy time for me and because I can only work with a finite number of clients at one time, 
I'm just, I, I want to support you and I want to help you and I don't want you to get to September and think, right, I've come back off my summer holidays and now I'll book in with Sam. I want to help you right now because the longer you leave it, the longer you hold that away from yourself, the longer you aren't stepping into the version of you that you need to be to reach your goals, right? So this is what I want to help you with. If that is you, the link is in the bio. I would love to help you. If you have any questions, come and DM me. I'm at the Style Editor UK on Instagram. You can email me, Samantha at the Style Editor.co.uk. But click the link in the show notes and have a look. And if that is for you, I would love, 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 love to support you over the summer so that you can go into autumn feeling refreshed, inspired, confident, and ready to tackle whatever it is that was on your goals list for 2022. The year is not over yet. There is still plenty of time to be the person that you promised yourself you were going to be this year. Don't leave all of those goals and dreams for your January New Year's resolution list again. Like how many years is this going to be now? Let's just get on a call, uncover what is holding you back, install those new beliefs, give you some confidence, give you the tools you need, an action plan, and let's pow, 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 pow our way into the rest of 2022. Did you know that there are more fashion lines for dogs than there are for disabled people? I know, it's shocking, isn't it? On this episode of the Style Uncovered podcast, I am chatting to Victoria Jenkins, who is the founder of Unhidden Clothing, which makes adaptable clothing for disabled people. Victoria chats all things marginalisation, diversity and inclusion, social responsibility and her radical transparency policy, which means that customers know exactly what they're getting and where they're buying it from. I'm so happy that Victoria was able to take some time from her busy schedule to talk to us about this. I learned so much. She really has educated me and the way that I think about clothing and fashion and the conversations that I'm now going to go away and have. And I hope that you go away and have those same conversations too. As ever, I will leave all of the links in the show notes. Without further ado, this is Victoria Jenkins on the Style Uncovered podcast. Victoria, hello. Hi Sam, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for joining me. I think that your story is you're just incredibly inspirational. I've been stalking you for a long time now um, on social media and <laughs> you are one of the people who was top of my list to have as a guest on the podcast. Um, can you tell us in your own words what you do and how you created Unhidden Clothing? Goodness yes of course what a lovely intro thanks. Um, so I so I have to tell my story as much as I have to tell Unhidden's because they are both very very linked so I studied fashion design at Istituto Marangoni, uh, the London campus, which is actually on Fashion Street, um, which I thought was a joke when I saw the address where I was going to be studying. Uh, And I graduated in 2008 and sort of went straight into an internship. And then my first paid job was as a pattern cutter for an e-commerce company. And then that role kind of grew and I ended up being a garment technologist, which I'd never heard of. Um, and then I did that basically for 14 years working for suppliers, but also, you know, sort of well-known um, high street brands. And then, you know, I did 
did finish quite nicely in my permanent roles at Victoria Beckham. Um, but in the background to all of that, uh, I also had, you know, a bit of a health journey. So I would say I'd always had a bit of an issue with my stomach, um, whether that was from youth or whatever, who knows. Uh, but after about three years of a little bit of medical gaslighting, um, I had a perforated ulcer. Um, and that was a little bit life, well, not a little bit, it was life-threatening. <laughs> and then um, that led to some life-saving surgery, but also a number of other conditions being diagnosed, lots of surgeries have had a yard sale on my insides, essentially, just, you know, can we remove it before it does something bad? Um, but it was thanks to that, you know, that I then had the idea for Unhidden. So I was in hospital in 2016, and uh, a fellow patient, uh, me and her were the most mobile on the ward, and she had survived ovarian cancer, but she was left, as a lot of cancer patients are, with a number of other conditions. So she had two stomas, a line in her arm, and she was there to be fitted for one in her chest. And, you know, I mean, I was very aware that she had to strip naked every time the doctors came around. Um, and because she had so much going on, there's always quite a lot of doctors, usually male as well. Um, and I just remember thinking, gosh, just, you know, when you're feeling at your absolute worst and very vulnerable, having to sort of expose yourself is not very comfortable. And obviously she was super used to it. I'm used to it. You know, you can't really phase us when uh, you've had so many medical investigations. But she did say to me that she couldn't dress how she wanted to and she couldn't dress for her job. She couldn't dress even in the hospital. You know, she was uncomfortable in, in the gowns and the pajamas that they provided. And it was just a light bulb moment. I just sort of, I mean, my initial reaction was someone will be doing this. It's so obvious. You know, now that I think about it, I can't believe I haven't thought about it. You know, looking back to how I'd recovered from other surgeries and just deciding, right, well, I can't wear any of my usual clothes, so I'll just stay in jogging bottoms and not go out. That was sort of my response. Um, and yeah, in 2016, it was pretty bleak landscape of adaptive fashion. It is it is improving now, which is great, um, but it's taken a while. And of course, at the time, there was not really anything aimed at younger people. There weren't very many people with an actual fashion background working on it. It was, you know, a lot of carers and people with close you know sort of ties to someone who they knew who was disabled but again they hadn't studied fashion so yeah sort of uh, made the decision to go freelance and then was too busy working for other people and then in 2020 you know clients sort of dried up and I just you know not having to go physically to other people's offices um, and commute and see friends and have a social life and do all the things that you know I was struggling to do I had so much more energy um, so Unhidden's kind of come on leaps and bounds in that time. That's a very long origin story. <laughs> it's amazing. I think it's, so, it's a, I think it's important to share that story, isn't it, by way of background? Because, you know, a, a lot of people really, we do take our health for granted. And like you said, you know, you can't think that anyone wouldn't have thought of it, of it before. And I... Uh, someone who loves fashion has worked in, you know, magazines and fashion and everything like that. Never thought of it. And it's people who have disabilities are people and they deserve to feel good in their clothes and it's kind of just wow it's almost crazy that it's taken this long for someone to actually create what you've created yeah I mean there are other brands you know and I would say that you know Tommy Hilfiger I think he launched his first range in 2015 um, with Mindy Shire, who founded Runway of Dreams. I'm actually going to the States in September to be in Runway of Dreams with Unhidden. 
is really exciting. Um, and also actually in a show in Nashville, Tennessee um, with Alicia Searcy, who does fashion is for everybody. Um, so a couple of those. And then my first full runway show in London's Fashion Week. Amazing. Are you are you are you excited? Are you nervous? <laughs> uh, a bit of both. A bit of both. I mean, I'm still this week and next is all actually doing all the design work. So it's quite this is the fun part. And then comes the very, very stressful part which is coordinating venues and people, but thankfully have a bit of admin help coming on. So won't be doing it solo. Amazing. When you think back to the start of the journey, can you believe where you are now, what you're doing now? No, I just, <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those, I knew it was a good idea. I knew it was needed. Um, and I've seen, you know, other people do it and do well with it as well, you know, especially across the pond. Um, and in Australia, they're, you know, they're light years ahead of everyone else, I think. Um, but no, I, and I didn't, I think it's, you know, the pandemic in that sense has been quite helpful because people are more open to the idea now than they ever were. When I was speaking to people about it in 2016, 17, 18, even 2019, people were like, oh yeah, that's nice. Or some people were just like, oh, is that even a market? You know, it was a really, people just didn't see the value in it. Um, and I think now we've all had that little bit of a reset and there's been a bit of, a bit more people being open to talking about disability i mean generally people still avoid that word it's actually disability pride month right now um so a very good time to be recording this um but yeah i think the the changes and the leaps <clears throat> it's gone don't go wrong sales have been atrocious <laughs> i will be upfront about that because the price point isn't where it needs to be um because it's all been made to order but there's so many things happening behind the scenes that you know i know that's going to come down soon um and i think that'll make the difference but yeah some of the Press exposure was has been quite incredible. Um, and some of the things coming up, some of the collaborations that I've got lined up, they've they've all just sort of, it's just been like a sort of I've set something in motion that I'm I just I love looking at my inbox every morning because I never know who's going to approach me to talk about adaptive fashion. And there's thankfully lots of people asking about it now and people that really need to be asking. Yeah, good, good. I was actually gonna ask you, you kind of answered it there about any resistance that you faced or people you know saying that's not there's no market or and it is something that we see across media I found from a newspaper background is that disability disabled people aren't really seen and I was given a lecture to some students actually recently around um, diversity in the media and we were looking at images that are used in the media and so when there's a story about a disabled person you know it's kind of just like a faceless Wheel, wheelchair yeah, basically always and it, a wheelchair user or an yeah. that's the other favorite yeah it just kind of dehumanizes people and you know people with disabilities are are human people who deserve clothes that fit them well that make them feel good absolutely um, just as much as anyone else and it's really yeah. i think you're, you're so right it's kind of there are obviously hidden disabilities but also disability itself is yeah. still hidden in yeah. the media that we see yeah, I think it's uh, Lloyd's Banking Group did a study on how often disability is shown in the media. 0.06% of the time, which is pretty shocking when there's, you know, it's one in five people. I think something like 87% of the disabled community have hidden disability. So, you know, when we see disability represented, it is those with a visible disability and it's still not enough, but then it kind of, you know, it's it certainly leads to, I've certainly had the thought of, do I count as disabled? Am I disabled enough? And I think especially for younger people going through that journey, because it is a journey of acceptance. You know, I never use the word disabled to refer to myself, probably not until 
2018, 2019, because I thought oh, I don't count, even though it's, you know, a lifelong condition. It's not, I mean, I have a paralyzed stomach that's not going to be unparalyzed ever, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, it's not something that's going to go away. If anything, it will go, it will, possibly will get worse. And that is the definition of a disability, something that's lifelong that will affect you every day. Which covers all manner of things. <laughs> yeah, like you said, there are so many hidden disabilities as well. And there is a, a, still the stigma of people, I guess, saying that they have a disability for kind of fear of that stigma or what it means to, yeah. to have a disability. Yeah, absolutely. Which is sad because, you know, disabled at the end of the day is just like a, it's a descriptor. The same as saying someone's got brown hair, blue eyes, is wearing a skirt. To have a disability, I think it's non-disabled people being uncomfortable with it and not knowing, you know, that sort of basically people think it's an insult to call someone disabled when they're disabled. And it's like, no, that's just, it's fine. You're allowed to use that word. Some of the other words you might try and use or the euphemisms, they're the ones that are the problem. So to us about sustainability because i know that sustainability is also something that's really important to you yeah and the brand very much so so at the moment everything is made from dead stock fabric that is sourced from a specific dead stock market in bulgaria where the factory also is um and the, the supply chain is plastic free you know i mean i haven't stamped the swing tickets myself at present that that will have to change when hopefully we get bigger orders because Definitely haven't got the time to be doing that myself. Um, and then the future plans include, and I'm even, I think I'm doing a workshop on this later in the year. Uh, I want to sort of have a not-for-profit arm where chronically ill and disabled machinists, can either, I can either train them to be a machinist or if they already are one, um, sort of have a platform for them where they can do adaptive upcycling and alterations on their local community. So they can work with their communities. They can work with people that, you know, sort of they understand each other. Um, and obviously they can pick and choose their hours when they do that as well. And then we're saving all these clothes from being thrown away because 80% of people with a disability, like me, acquire it. So there's some people who literally overnight can't ever wear their clothes again. And you think about people who've either spent quite a lot of money on their clothes or have, you know, we all attach memories and sentimentality to our clothing. So, you know, the mental sort of trauma of suddenly going, I've got to throw everything away. Well, what if, you know, we can show people how to adapt them so i'm going to be filming workshops to sort of show some of the really easy adaptations and then you know obviously we'll have different degrees but so people can watch that and either show it to their local dry cleaner or the nearest person they know that machines and then they can sort of rescue and sort of update their clothes so that they can still wear them because um, it's all about circularity and sort of trying to make less that's why i've generally it's why i started with made to order so we weren't making what we haven't sold um, obviously the downside to that is the cost because it does cost more to do it that way and you know with the community i'm targeting 50 percent more likely to live in poverty obviously the price point therefore has to be quite low um, but i mean for what it is i think it's it is very good value for money you know i'm using construction methods that make the clothes last longer and in that sense are sustainable um and you know the the fabrics are all nice and soft and they sort of they will have, sort of withstand a bit of wear and tear as well so there's there's a lot of elements to it. And most of it also, I should say, I mean, the seated trousers are for wheelchair users. They're very specific, but everything else, anyone can wear it. That's universal design, which in itself is also more sustainable because it means I'm not excluding a group of people. I'm allowing everybody to wear that same dress or that shirt or pair of trousers. That's amazing. And also what you said there about adaptability, because that's something that 
would you know like you said a lot of people if you're in a car accident or anything terrible happened and you've got all of these clothes and that your clothes are part of who you are right that's how you express yourself to the world and suddenly you can't wear your clothes that must just be like you said like an added layer of trauma on top of what has happened to you yeah um so that's I mean I personally I know someone who's now got a um bag and she can't wear kind of and then you know she'll go out and she may have an accident or something may happen and it yeah it's um I think that's such a great thing that you're doing because you know it could happen to it could literally happen to anyone right yeah it's the well the disabled community it's the largest marginalized group and the only one that literally anyone can join at any time and i mean that you know odds are if you're lucky enough to reach an older age you will join it you know and i think people even sort of forget you know there's such thing as situational and temporary disability as well you know if you're if you've got if you're a new parent you've got a newborn baby you've suddenly only got one arm to dress yourself maybe dress the baby maybe make food you've got to do that with one arm and you suddenly realize how difficult tasks just everyday tasks are just through that so you know it does touch most people in in some way shape or form yeah well i think what you're doing is incredible um what so obviously you're doing like the fashion shows and everything Hmm. um and you want to do kind of the adaptability and all of that kind of stuff what ultimately are you like five five years down the line where do you see unhidden oh well (laughs) <laughs> the, dream, the dream is because uh, some of the things that I wanted to do, like I've already done, like sort of, you know, pop up shops and retail and testing that and shows um, five years time. I would really, really love to have my, you know, my own bricks and mortar store, um, but it would be made to look high end, you know, like a Prada or Yves Saint Laurent, so, you know, sort of that feel to it, but it'd be fully accessible uh, the staff are all medically trained. There's a changing places bathroom. There's also hoists and winch, and it's a community feel. You know, people can come and just sit and hang out if they want to. Um, and I, you know, I'd love to also sell other other brands, maybe other accessories, or not just you know, not just be unhidden, but sort of also try and platform, especially student designers, but also other brands in the same space that maybe do categories that I'm not doing because uh, I do want to tap in on all of them if I'm honest. Um, because in my opinion, they all need doing. Like there's only there's only six adaptive footwear brands in the world and they all do trainers, which is great. We need those trainers, but I think there's definitely, there's definitely a little bit of room for some more formal footwear, um, which I would really love to sort of start looking at. And then there's bridal and grooms. You think, you know, people, again, they, they, I don't think there is a brand that exists that only does that. There are certainly, there are wedding dress designers that have worked with disabled people and sort of altered and adapted existing designs for them. But I think there's definitely, you know, there's still the assumption that disabled people don't get married. Um, and, you know, I have I know of models that have been on shoots where they've had to wear dresses that are wildly impractical for them. Um, so, I and I used to make wedding dresses way back when. I used to make wedding dresses um, when I was first working in fashion. So it, I'd love to go back into that. wedding but yeah you're, you're right you know the way we never see in the media coming back to the media again like you never see a picture of a bride who is disabled no you know like wedding special issues how often do you do you get that never yeah, no and, and there are some there's some great people that have reached out and sort of asked and models of diversity did a, an absolutely stunning bridal shoot with one of the models that I work with um Charlie Ann and she looked absolutely incredible and they they wove flowers like into the wheels 
it was gorgeous but I was like but on the day that would be impractical but it was gorgeous for a shoot you know like rolling wheels with flowers like you know just think petals Petals, would go everywhere everywhere Uh, but actually that would kind of look quite cool um but yeah so and there are there are people that sort of waking up to it and trying to you know do better within every industry but obviously it's all it's very frustrating because to me it's all very late we're already we're already late to the party so we need to sort of move a bit quicker now yeah definitely and especially you know like fashion is it's quite exclusionary anyway even for you know I'm an able-bodied white woman and I I feel you know slightly excluded from this version of what you're supposed to be in order to fit into fashion Mm. and it's just you know that is what it's built on almost almost having worked in magazines done a lot of internships magazines the conversations I overheard this was you know going back like 12 years so I'm hoping that things have changed a bit now but some of the conversations I heard there it was just honestly all built on our insecurity and us not being good enough and therefore you know having to constantly try and push ourselves to be this version of this person and yeah. every time they move the goalposts and you know it's just yeah it was wild I was looking at um I was looking at Vogue in the 70s they were far more racially diverse in the 70s than they are now and even now it feels like you know it's only after quite a lot of slip-ups really that they've sort of improved themselves and yeah it's I mean given that you know, models, it is a very specific body type and it's not a common one. So, it, you know, and they're also the weird thing that I always found about it, especially like after studying it for so long as well, is they're not the people buying it at the end of the day. Like the people who are actually buying these clothes are usually, especially for the higher end designers, they're usually older because they have access to that sort of money. Um, so, yeah, it's wild that, you know, we'd want to show one physique that doesn't even remotely represent the end user you know it's just walking clothes hangers and don't get me wrong models are lovely I'm not going to tar them all with a terrible brush um, but I think it's far more interesting and far more joyful to look at shows where there is actual diversity because then you know you, you don't feel it's like walking into a room full of models I still you know I sort of look around and immediately feel worse about myself you know just go oh or any fashion event really where you can sort of see people looking at you like no uh, so, you know, I think the, the great thing that I have noticed on all the events that I've taken part in or organised myself, not only do mostly everyone is like on board and happy to be around each other, but it's definitely sometimes there is, there's, there's always a few people that have never seen what I'm showing them. And I think they do have a habit of they just stay away, but you give someone enough Prosecco and they will come and talk to you. So in fact, I think I did a, an event in June and definitely some of they were some very high fashion styly stylist type people um but they most of them by the end of the night had engaged with you know the other disabled people in the room but it's that i think that's that constant exposure is needed because otherwise you know they might do it once but they're not going to meaningfully continue to engage because it makes them feel uncomfortable and people shy away from what makes them uncomfortable so i uh it's an interesting one yeah but it's also yeah but it's also quite you know we're in 2022 are we really still just using six foot models <laughs> people not maybe or being scared of maybe saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing and therefore shying away from it and it's better to actually have these conversations and learn from it and you know educate ourselves and try and make the world a better place than it is to actually go oh well I'm I'm scared of getting it wrong so I'm gonna just stand away from the conversation and not get involved in it and not try and help anything move forward 
Yeah. And I think it's also, it's still, you know, it, like you said earlier, disabled people is people first, you know, like some people for, you know, pe person with a disability or disabled person for time, because I have to say it so often, I'm just like disabled people because it's a lot to say otherwise constantly. But yeah, we're, we're humans and people first and foremost, you know, and there's, I think that there's nothing wrong with being disabled. I think, you know, it's only society that has the issue with it. Like we just crack on. But I think, yeah, people is, you know, it's, is it going to be a pity party? We don't want pity. We just want equity. It's not, you know, it's not hard to achieve either. I think a lot of the problem, especially in the fashion industry and events, is that a lot of them aren't accessible. And I think, therefore, people think because we can't get in, that we don't want to be there. Well, they, no, they think that we don't want to be there, but it's actually usually because we can't get in. Um, and there's been some terrible examples. I think Wireless Festival has just been sort of caught out in their disabled persons viewing platform miles away from the stage. Noel Gallagher blagged his way onto the viewing platform at Glastonbury. No, that's not for you, mate. Sorry. I'm actually wearing my Glastonbury T-shirt because, yes, I did just go. Um, I really struggled. I actually really struggled with it. Um, but, yeah, I think there's just that, especially, and I've been reading more and more about, um, you know, sort of, LGBTQ and pride accessibility. I mean, people have been saying it's the best this year, but there are still so many stories of people that can't get in to these events physically. And it's not just wheelchair users, it's people who just need you know, rapid access to a bathroom or who can't stand for very long, or you know, there's lots of sensory things going on. And I think there's, as a whole, the events and fashion industry need to really look at the venues they're choosing. Um, and they also need to remember that accessibility isn't just a ramp. Maybe also they need to talk to people who know that because like having conversations with friends who, you know, they've got diversity and inclusion panels and all that kind of stuff. And yet there's no one on the panel who has got a disability or there's no one on the panel who is neurodiverse or, you know, from the background that they want them to be. So how are you supposed to be able to, ha you know, make changes for those voices if you don't have those voices in the room? Exactly, exactly. It's, yeah, you know, we can't be what we don't see. And then uh, we've got to be in the room where it happens at the end of the day. You know, if we're not, then nothing's really going to change. And that's, I mean, it's from education right the way to HR. You know, we don't encourage disabled people to study fashion design. So how are they going to become designers? But at the moment, I know that there are some being developed, um, some inclusive design courses, which is great. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the other problem is we've got all these designers graduating now who either have never been shown it, never considered it, or aren't being taught it by people who actually do it. Um, so, you know, I'm in talks with my university to sort of see if we can come up with something that, you know, would help. Because um, that's the other problem, the existing design teams, they can go straight to, you know, the disabled community and they can say we need X, Y, Z, whatever. But if they don't actually know physically how that translates into a technical design, that's where they might need someone like me or the 10 other people in the UK that are doing it uh, because otherwise they don't you know that it's not going to be done right and there's quite a lot of chance that they'll get it done wrong and what do you think about kind of um obviously your brand is like really nice and makes people feel nice but even at the kind of the the lower end of the high street for example and like you said there you know disabled people may be more likely to be poorer because of lots of the issues that we've discussed and even more of that and yet they can't access the same fashion you know I could walk into I won't but I could walk into you know Primark or go on Boohoo yeah. or whatever and just buy a load of clothes and not even have to think about it whereas yeah. other people can't 
Hmm. I mean, this is the this is the issue. Uh, you know, obviously, it comes to it comes to choice at the end of the day. You know, no one shops from just one place, so that's why I've always been quite happy to champion other adaptive brands. Uh, but it is also why I'm on a relatively sort of behind the scenes large campaign to try and persuade retailers to either work with me or do a collaboration with Unhidden so that they are then including inclusive design. Because a lot of the time, actually, it's they have things within the collection that are that are accidentally adaptive. So they could just do an edit of those and then highlight it to their consumers. But they can't do that if they don't know what they are. Um, so there's there's that side of it. But yes, I am talking to some high street brands because yeah, they're out of time. They're out of time now. Um, and I don't think it's fair to expect their design team to suddenly know how to do it. Uh, so, you know, in the interim, people like me and there are others, um, you know, that, that are happy to consult and, you know, do obviously paid uh, work yes. to help them yeah. release it. Because yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I mean, the problem is whenever I do a poll on Unhidden Stories, like who do you want to see do inclusive design? Primark is number one. And I will never, never work with them. I say this. <laughs> I say this, you know, when you're like, how much is your soul worth? If it was, you know, I always try and think the benefit of the community versus how I personally feel about things. Um, and having to separate that is quite difficult because if it's going to impact the most people the fastest way, then maybe that is actually working with one of these fast fashion giants. But maybe with the caveat, they have to use my supply chain. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's what I've done with everyone that's wanted to collaborate so far as I'm like, we can, but we use my chain, not yours, because we don't have visibility on yours. And most of the time, actually, they act actively want to use mine. So it's quite good. But yeah, I can't see Boohoo agreeing to it anytime soon. And then the other ones are obviously H&M and Zara. I always get asked about them. I guess they, I mean, there's an issue with sustainability, isn't there? A lot of greenwashing stuff. And yes. I've done some stuff in the past interviewing people around the issue of greenwashing and them saying, you know, we are doing this and it's top level, but behind the scenes, that's not actually really what's happening. That's all just a marketing campaign to make us feel better about spending our money with them, but yeah. they're not actually making the changes. Exactly. I mean, it's the volume in which these things are produced. I mean, Shane, Sheen. Sheen, oh, yeah. They are the absolute worst. I think they bring out something like 50% more per month than all the other brands. Um, you know, and the problem, I think, you know, the problem isn't us as consumers, really. It's the fact that this has happened and we've been conditioned to think it's acceptable to buy clothes for the price of a coffee. You know, it's it's really not OK. So, yeah, the problem does become volume because obviously volume is what brings the price down. But it, there's still a level of, you know, the amount of volume. Do you really need to make that many? No, probably is the case. So I think, yeah, it's it's hard because I do want to, you know, get into as many spaces or get inclusive and adaptive design into as many places as possible. But, yeah, there's got to be at some point because, the, you know, climate change impacts marginalized groups first. You know, our government just decided not to include evac plans um, in fire emergency manifestos with landlords and tenants and buildings. Um, we don't have one in place for natural disasters. Uh, this is directly impact in Ukraine, they don't have an evac plan. Um, so everyone has had to leave their disabled friends, relatives behind. Wow. And that's, you know, like that's this is happening now. <laughs> my TED talk what? is, uh, my TED talk goes on about that quite a lot, oh. which will be out in mid-July, I think. Yeah. Oh my goodness, what? It's like, yeah. what? I wish people could see my face. What? <laughs> yeah. That is just, yeah. that is just terrible. That's terrible. Is. 
So, you know, oh. I can't be part of the contributing factor by working with fast fashion in that regard, you know, because it, yeah, it will impact us first. So, yeah. And I, th it's, I think it's important for everyone to know where they're spending their money. And this is something that I try and say to people all the time, you know, when you're spending your money, you're making a conscious choice of the kind of world that you want to live in. And if you, if you know that a brand is behaving in a certain way, and yet you still are choosing to go and spend all of your money there, you are like you are making a choice to do that and I know yeah. there are issues around you know socio-economic issues and yeah. all of that kind of stuff and, and people cost of living and everything but we are making a choice and as consumers I think we forget our power in the yeah. situation we think well you know the, the, it's all it's the brands it's not up to me but actually we do have a lot more power yeah than we definitely. think and I think you know it's also it's that false economy you know it's always that sort of that phrase buy cheap buy twice like it's, yeah, you might be able to pick up a T-shirt for five quid, but you know it's going to fall apart and therefore you can buy another one in two weeks' time. That's that's not the way to go. You know, sort of save all that money for a month, spend £20 on a T-shirt, it'll last longer. And then you won't need to keep getting new ones, you know. But it's, again, it's it's retraining us as consumers, but it, it has to come from the brands, I think. You know, consumers will buy what they can get. So if, you know, if the if the choice isn't there for them to do that, you know, funny enough, trying to remove choice, um, that you know will actually help but yeah it's and it's difficult because supply chains especially for big brands you know like they might have relationships even with the farmers that grow the fibers that then get woven into fabric that then go to the fabric mill if we just stopped production all of those farmers are out of a job so that's not the answer and i think that's why circular fashion is part of the solution but not all of it in as much as also you know all of us learning how to fix and mend our clothes and how to upcycle, you know, once it's past X, Y, Z amount of where, what else can we do with it? And there's some really amazing designers doing, you know, just using offcuts from factories or old clothing, like the, you know, the possibilities there are endless. And I think there's still a lot to be done with recycled fabric, but there's also a big problem with recycled fabric. People thinking that's enough to just use recycled fabric when some of them are like, I can't name names, but some of the, some of the fabric suppliers are literally like buying clean plastic like like from a factory that makes plastic bottles to then shred those and recycle them because it's easier than using actual used plastic that's dirty has to be cleaned and the process is longer i mean if you know if it was true that all of this was recycled ocean plastic there would be no plastic left in the ocean that's the volume of fabric they are making it wouldn't be possible so yeah i'm always a bit dicey on recycled fabric and also the water usage for it as well is you know yeah. And then it's kind of hoodwinking, hoodwinking consumers, isn't it? Because you think you're doing the, the right thing and you're actually not. Yeah. Like it's like recycling, house recycling. I mean, you think that you're doing the right thing by putting stuff in the recycling, but actually, if you put the wrong thing in the recycling, you mm. will contaminate the recycling for like everyone in your neighborhood. So it it yeah. almost makes it pointless, but there's no education. People don't actually know this stuff. So yeah. they think that they're doing the best thing by buying the quote-unquote recycled fabric or putting their stuff in the recycling and actually yeah. they're not even brands you know if they if they don't know enough you know like especially with startups if they don't know enough then they might think oh that's you know I've got all this all of their information about it that's enough for me but you know it's it's really hard to get transparency which is also why I believe in you know super radical like, it's called radical transparency which is why I, I mean, I don't have the website for the factory because they don't have one. <laughs> don't speak English, uh, but I'm going to go and see them hopefully in the next couple of months. Um, I have a factory liaison who is Bulgarian. She goes out there and she's absolutely incredible. 
Um, but it's why I put every other sort of like, you know, where our packaging comes from, where the stamps that I use came from, how much, you know, what the breakdown cost of every single garment and what goes on where. So people can see what the money's going to. I mean, you can actually see really, we don't have a profit margin um, with the current made to order sort of model, especially, you know, when you do look at, because I'm buying by the meter, obviously larger sizes do, when you're doing it this way, it does cost more, but I'm not passing that on to the consumer, um, which is why stock and being able to buy stock is sort of the next area for me. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a monolith to try and fix, but I think, it's also quite exciting creativity, like in terms of creativity to put almost put these blocks in front of you and then see how you still create. I, I really admire your transparency in all of that stuff with your supply chain, but also what you're saying about, you know, profit margins and all that kind of stuff. I so admire that because I think social media can sometimes make it look like, you know, it's so easy to start a brand. It's so easy to do this. Everyone's making millions of pounds, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And that's not actually... They, like that's not actually the reality a lot of that is just marketing tactics yeah, yeah. So I I really admire your um just what from obviously like I said at the beginning stalking you on social media <laughs> just watching your journey and what you've accomplished so far and seeing you know what you will do in the future and hopefully having more conversations like this will make people think people like me who never if I'm being honest would have thought about this stuff before um changing our the way that we think or you know just considering stuff and asking questions if we go somewhere actually looking around and being like would a disabled person be able to come in here and enjoy this event like I am yeah and if not why not you know yeah. we need to start asking the questions of why absolutely I mean that's the problem we're at and one that a lot of us are discussing at the moment is in the disability advocacy space, we have two major problems. One is still very white, um, which is, you know, sort of endemic of the world we live in. Uh, but the other problem is that we all show up for each other, but not non-disabled people. So like, you know, most of the talks I've done, I know everyone in the audience because we've already spoken at some point and they invariably they're in the disability community as well. So I'm like, right, we need to get people from outside in and that's where we do need allies. And I think it's really, you know, it's great that you say that because, yeah, once you once you know it and once you spot it, there's nothing to stop you as a non-disabled person saying, excuse me, why haven't you got this? Because, you know, they might say, well, why do you care? It's like it's in everyone's interest to care because when it's built in, it benefits everyone. You know, like drop curbs were invented for wheelchair users, but they're also very helpful for people with prams, people with heavy luggage and also just knowing, you know, like how to get on and off the pavement. You know, the simple thing, Siri was developed for people who are blind, but we all use Alexa and Siri and Google, like we all use voice activated things. So, you know, fashion design and universal design in the same way and access it when it's done for everybody, it really is for everyone. I think when it's an add on at the end, it's quite often done badly or it's just not done at all. Exclusion actually benefits no one. Inclusion exactly. benefits everyone. Yeah. Which is or not. kind of wild that we have to say. Yeah, it is <laughs> 2022. Obvious. But yeah. But you know, I guess we are coming out of a really long period, and I'm talking, you know, hundreds of years of exclusion of so many people. If you look back in history, yeah. the history that we teach to, to kids in schools and stuff like that, it actually excludes the majority of people, like the majority of people who aren't, you know, white, a able-bodied mainly men you know history is written in that sense by the victors of history and so yeah. we're still probably unfortunately at, we've still got a lot to do yeah 
Oh, but we're, we were. And the world is like, just, you were just like, but thank God I'm not in America right now. But I'm actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually like getting a bit nervous about flying out to the States. Not, for, you know, not because I genuinely think I'm going to get shot, although it does seem like it's well, common. Yeah. Um, but just because it's, you know, that the atmosphere there. Um, and, you know, I know some of the adaptive designers in the States that I speak to, you know, they're, they are scared and they're so worried and just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm waking up in a country every day where things like this are happening, you know. Oh, do I really want to go there? But obviously I also, you know, I've never been to Nashville and I only went to New York when I was 18. And I haven't been outside the country since 2019. So I'm like, yay, holiday sort of. It's a working holiday, but <laughs> I'm hoping I'll have a bit of time to see some of the sites. I'm sure that you, well, I'm sure you have an, an amazing time. And, yeah. Um, you know, they need to hear what you have to say and all of the incredible things that you're doing. And I know that you are very busy, so you have to go um, soon. But where can listeners find you and come and have a, have a conversation with you? Like if you're listening to this and like we were saying there about, you know, your able body, you never really thought about this stuff before and you're a bit scared to have a kind of conversation like let's do it have the yeah. have the conversation where can people yeah. find you uh so on instagram there is um unhidden.uk is and at the moment it is just me but i am onboarding some admin thankfully so at the moment if you message you're just going to speak to me uh, but then there's my page which is victoria and official where i do sort of try and separate from unhidden a little bit usually without much success but i do talk about accessibility and um, disability and language uh, then there's unhiddenclothing.com, which is obviously the website. Um, I did write a book called The Little Book of Ableism, which is an ebook. I think there's about six hard, I'm looking around behind me, I've got about six hardback ones left. Um, I don't know if I'll do a reprint because I self-published, um, but I, there is an ebook and there's lots of others. I mean, I have a, a highlight on Unhidden's page, profile page of resources, people you can go and speak to or ask or learn from, people you can buy books from, like it's all, it's all in there. And of course, there's always LinkedIn, but I would say, you know, if you, <laughs> uh, I am, like you said, I'm quite busy. Uh, so I generally, what I do is, you know, if you want to know quite a lot, I have a Google Drive link that's got all the press today, all the podcasts and like some of the imagery, if you want it and just sort of things that are coming up. So I can always, always happy to send that link out to people. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today and, no you know, talk to us about your journey and I'll leave all of the links in the show notes for people as well to come and talk to you lovely thank Thanks you so it's been nice to talk to you you too thank you for tuning into the style uncovered podcast today i really hope that it has resonated with you or that it's given you something to think about or that it's encouraged you to go ahead and do the thing if that's you i would love for you to let me know come over to instagram at the style editor uk or find me on linkedin or send me an email samantha at the style and let me know and if you could also it would be amazing if you could take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your stories or share it on your social media somewhere or just share it with someone who may need to hear it because I put out this podcast with the intention of serving and helping people and it's not going to get into the ear holes of the right people 
if you can't if you're not helping with with that so if you appreciate this content if you appreciate this podcast if you've liked this episode and you think hmm other people might need to hear this too please do share i would love that if you have any questions comments things that you like to discuss for future episodes or you want to find out more about working with me one-to-one send me a message and we can chat you can actually also book a call with me direct through my website www.thestyleeditor.co.uk all of the links are in the show notes until next time bye bye